What's up, guys, and welcome to the first episode of Second Stringers. I am Griffin Morrill, your host, with my two DJs. I'm Joe. And I'm Najee. And we're here to give you the uh, lowdown on all things that is happening in the big, wide world of sports. So let's kick it off, Joe. Uh, What do we think of the NBA Finals? Yeah, so I feel like we all kind of went into it knowing – LeBron was going to get his next ring. I mean, if you just compare the two matchups between the Heat and the Lakers, the Lakers were you know, far and beyond the better team. Uh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I really was shocked when, you know, they beat the Celtics in six. Obviously, you know, from Massachusetts, the Celtics are my team, and I was really rooting for them, but, I mean, just – Game after game, disappointment after disappointment. And to see this matchup, I really didn't see how they were going to be able to handle the size of the Lakers. And obviously it showed when they just continued to attack the paint, especially in games two and three when Bam couldn't even play. Absolutely. Same same as you. Um, I'm also from Massachusetts. Grew up a huge Celtics fan. Very disappointing ending to the season. You know, the majority of those games they had, you know, fourth quarter leads that they eventually blew. Um, And overall, I think the Celtics were honestly a better matchup for the Lakers in the heat in the sense that they're, you know, faster, play better in transition um, and overall just just better players. Um, So I think although Miami did get, you know, two games off the Lakers, I think Lakers easily should have uh, swept in that series. I think when you look at just even from the regular season, like the Celtics were able to blow out a fully stocked Lakers team back in January. So I think it just would have made for a much more exciting series if the Celtics had made it out of the East, something they have yet to be able to do, which hurts me. But uh, we will see what, Danny Ainge has up his sleeve to get us over that hump. Oh, that man always has something in the works. I mean, honestly. But one thing that I was definitely shocked to see, uh, you know, you mentioned it not being able to come out of the East for the Celtics. But, I mean, the Clippers. Mm. The Clippers are still stuck Mm -hmm. in that, you know, that they can't make it past the second round for their life depending on it. I mean, they gave up a three-to-one lead against the Denver Nuggets. And don't get me wrong, Denver Nuggets, yeah, they got they got some talent on there. But compared to what was assembled and what every sort of NBA fan thought going into the playoffs was, oh, the Clippers are going to be the team to beat. What, what happened? No, that's a great point. You know, even the beginning of the season after uh, last offseason's free agency, um, you know, I predicted the Clippers to, to win the whole thing. Um, I don't know. I just – I think the bubble really had an effect on them. They almost didn't want to be there. Um, you know, they were one of the two teams um, that wanted to leave the bubble, wanted to end the season. Uh, they definitely had the talent and, you know, the characters of the guys, a lot of, you know, tough, um, you know, hustling players, but – I don't know. I, I just think it came down to they didn't want to be there. Mm. And I think 
one of the most important things coming down to is chemistry. You know, you look at something I always um, kind of gave me a little chuckle back when it first came out, but there was a uh, clip of like Marcus Morris doing funny ears behind Kawhi and then Kawhi like shot on like a dirty look. It's like, that doesn't look like a team that's having fun out there. And then you've got the whole playoff P pandemic P whatever you want to call them issue of just Paul George tossing up bricks in the bubble for forever. And it's just like, something's got to change with that team. I don't know if they need another star or they need more role players, but that team as constructed just is not going to be able to find much success. Well, clearly the organization as a whole thought it was time for a change, but they decided to get rid of Doc Rivers, who quickly moved on to the 76ers. And my only real take on this is that it's kind of interesting because he left the Celtics uh, to go to the Clippers in order to avoid like the Celtics doing their rebuild after they got rid of their big three in Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce. So he went to the Clippers. But now he is joining the 76ers who fully are in like a scramble mode. And I think their whole organization is in a disarray because they really thought they had something. But honestly, they let the biggest piece they had go in Jimmy Butler, who proved that he is a top player that can play amongst these like top tier guys. Absolutely. Just building off that. Um I think Doc Rivers' main reason for, for leaving the uh, the Celtics in the 2013 offseason was solely that he wasn't built for a rebuild. Um, so it's kind of ironic because obviously he went to the Clippers. You know, they had Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, um, and they underachieved. But that's besides the point. But coming to last season, um, two years ago, when the Clippers were really – in a rebuild uh, and they over overachieved and, you know, proved a lot of people wrong. It made you think that once they got Kawhi and Paul George and, and obviously Harold became a, a big factor on that team that they had something really special brewing. I think it would be interesting to um, just to wonder, you know, if the bubble hadn't happened and obviously if coronavirus didn't, didn't occur, you know, would they, be the eventual champions. It's, it's definitely something interesting to think about because with the season being cut short and then being restart so much later, you could see that there was a difference in levels of players. I mean, I remember seeing certain players come back and be like, wow, they're really in shape. They really worked on this aspect of their game and then seeing, you know, other aspects and, I mean, Joe, you brought it up, the Marcus Morris bunny ears. It kind of seemed like the Clippers went from an actual, like, team winning mentality to more of, like, joking around. Mm -hmm. And obviously, there's, like, plenty of fun to have. Like, you saw the Lakers. They were always enjoying it. But when it came down to business, they they got stuff done. They made sure that if they needed a game to be won, that they won the game. If they needed something to happen, they handled, like, they handled their shit. In the bubble. I think there has to be a balance in between, you know, having fun and treating it like it's a job, which it is for them. And I just think the Clippers weren't really able to find that balance between the two. It was either one or the other. Whereas you look at the Lakers and 
like you said, they were able to have fun and joke around on the bench and stuff. But like LeBron can joke around all he wants on the bench. And when he checks in, he flips a switch and goes into, you know, playoff mode or whatever you want to call it. So I think it's just important for the Clippers to really find that identity and find that balance and be able to, you know, have some fun while at the same time being able to flip that switch whenever they need to. Now, speaking of finding that switch and finding whatever it is, whether it's role players or, you know, just bench guys in general to, you know, keep the team well-rounded. I've been looking through, like, obviously this time of year for NBA free agency, there's always the trade rumors. There's always the people photoshopping jerseys on other people and it's always interesting to see who gets photoshopped with who but honestly some of the interesting ones and like the trades that i've been seeing i kind of want to run by you guys so obviously uh jarek rose has been mentioned with the la lakers i personally and as a boston fan obviously i don't want to see like him go to the lakers because i think that's like a really good fit but i but that's why I think it would work out well. And I think Derrick Rose, out of anyone, deserves a championship. And I think L.A. is definitely one of those places that he can do it. Because right now in Detroit, he's kind of just wasting away. I think that's, that's an interesting one. Because I feel like Rondo would just fits their play style a lot better. Because Rondo's very much obviously a pass first type of guy and you know he i don't even know how many assists he averaged but it's probably a lot and Derek rose has always struck me as more of a scorer and i'm not sure they need more scores but i mean obviously more scoring is never a bad thing but there's such a thing as too much that's true i yeah, mean I think- rondo just to make your point Joe, he averaged it was Seven, almost seven points and five assists uh, during the regular season. And then it was almost nine points and over six and a half assists yeah. uh, during like the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, I think Rondo definitely fits that team um, a lot better than Derek Rosewood. Um, and circling back to, you know, why Rondo was not kept in the Celtics rebuild. Rondo, Rondo thrives with with talent, with shooters, with scorers. He really fits in those type of offenses. That's why, you know, Danny Ainge did not want to keep him, did not want to build around him. Um, and I think Derrick Rose, going back to the original question, I think Derrick Rose is more of a backup plan. Um, if Rondo, I mean, there's a lot of talks that Rondo might go to the Clippers. So, so I think Derrick Rose is a, a solid, solid backup plan if Rondo ends up leaving the Lakers this offseason. That's definitely mm. true. And honestly, I was a little sad to see Rondo go, but I was also very happy to see that like when the Lakers did win the championship, that he was, you know, a part of that team and he played so well because I always thought he was like a great player. I definitely, it definitely will be interesting to see the dynamic between that. Cause I get what you're saying with Derek Rose being more of a scoring guy. And I definitely do see that Rondo fits in well. I would be interested to see what sort of targets the Lakers do go for with a majority of their core, you know, coming back and wondering, do they go for, you know, more shooting? Do they bring in more defense? Because 
they have the well-roundedness. They have playmaking in Rondo and LeBron. They have defensive, you know, anchor and Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard coming off the bench. They have those two guys being their bigs. I mean, they have the versatility of so many different movements and, you know, setups and matchups that it's just, I think it'll be interesting to see how they come in and play this off season. I think something worth noting is that um, the Lakers have shown that they're willing to put LeBron at point guard. So that would even, wouldn't even necessitate. You could just start LeBron at point guard and then um, have Rondo come in as the backup or something. I'm not sure how they'd find a balance that way, but they made it work, obviously. So, so yeah, certainly. Now, here's another one that really interests me when I saw this. So, it's about Devin Booker and the rumor or like the trade that this person would like to see happen is for him to go to the Timberwolves. Now, Ooh. obviously, we know that, you know, D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns and, like, Devin Booker, they all have that, like, relationship. And two of them are, you know, on the Timberwolves. But do you think that Minnesota will risk it all to try to form, like, a big three? Or do you think that it would be too much for them to give up in order to get Devin Booker? Yeah, I don't even think they have the assets to swing a trade for a player like Booker. Because, I mean, they're – their roster is pretty shallow as of right now, as far as I know. So I'm just not sure they have the capabilities even, unless they gave up like a ton of picks, which even that, that would I'm be, not sure. that would be the hypothetical in my opinion. And obviously it comes down to, do you want short term or do you want long term? Because if you're giving up a lot of future first round picks for, you know, a guy, I mean, Devin Booker is, a top tier shooting guard in my opinion. And I really think that he can thrive in a different situation because the Phoenix Suns have not done him justice. But overall, if you're Minnesota, do you want to take that chance? Do you want to take that leap? Because you, I mean, you don't, you didn't even get to see, you know, D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns play for that long. Like you, you want to see them build. Maybe you can put like some key role players around them. Yeah, I mean, I, me personally, when you brought up that trade mention or that, um, I just don't think it's worth it for, for either team, really, because Devin Booker and Phoenix, realistically, he's the only person that they have that allows them to sell tickets. He's the only ray of hope that, you know, Suns fans have. So, and I, and I don't see... You know, as Joe mentioned, I don't see any assets that the Timberwolves have that would entertain, you know, Devin Booker at all. Also, it would be, in my opinion, kind of kind of stupid for Minnesota to trade for, for him because I just don't see that big three, if that was formed, you know, really going anywhere, especially in the tough Western Conference. I just would... Would the fans be happy because they'd be, I mean, maybe a little bit closer to, to their end goal and destination? Most likely. But I just don't see it, see it as really substantial and going really in a significant direction. Something worth noting is that the Timberwolves 
do have the first overall pick in this year's draft. So they could either go for one of the top dogs in the draft class, um, or they could certainly use that if um, the Suns want to go the complete tear down and rebuild route. That would definitely be worth an asset. That would be worth um, looking into moving. Because I'm looking at their roster. They don't have a lot of tradable players outside of D'Lo and Carl Anthony Towns. And they're both young. They're both, you know, still developing, really. So it might even be making more sense for them to uh, stand pat, pick it first overall, and see if they can develop big three that way. That is that is definitely interesting. I did forget that they had the first overall. It, it, I will be interested to see who they go for because obviously there has been a lot of hype over you know this draft class. Obviously, Lamelo Ball being the one who gets most of the attention. Um, not to take away any uh, from Anthony Edwards. But, I mean, both of them are very talented. But it will be interesting to see sort of where the drafts and the picks fall especially considering, you know, you do have two key pieces that, you know, are young core guys still developing in D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns to just get another young guy. is just to keep building, you know, and building. Yeah, I think Anthony Edwards probably makes the most sense for them. Because really all I would, of the, I would uh, say so too. Yeah. Because LaMelo, they already have D'Lo. And then if they were going for like Wiseman or somebody, they already have uh, – Carl Anthony Towns. So really the only position need that would fit would be Edwards, who's another guard. So yeah, that makes sense. Now, here's one, and I've seen a lot of different ones, and obviously all of us being from Massachusetts, being Boston Celtics fans, I am interested to hear your takes on this, guys. So I've seen two different rumors or like trade targets that the Celtics should go for. And one was Miles Turner, and one was Carl Anthony Towns. In my opinion, the Celtics need a big to, like, reach that next level. I think they have a good small ball unit. I do think that, you know, Tice is a, is a quality player, but I don't necessarily think he's a starter in today's NBA. And, like, I, I think he played great when he came off the bench. I just think against the starting centers of the league, the big men kind of just have their way with them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think Tice, you know, played extremely well, especially in the bubble. But, you know, I, I think he's, what, 6'8"? I mean, there's no center in the NBA that, that thrives at 6'8". Mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely heard the mile. I've heard a lot of Indiana – trade rumors, whether it be Victor Oladipo, which I, I think that would be a bad idea considering, you know, after his couple of injuries has not been the same. Um, but Miles Turner, I'd be extremely happy to, you know, to get an exchange for, I mean, most likely Gordon Hayward and, and or picks. Um, but another guy I haven't heard anybody mention that's also a big man and one of my personal favorite players in the NBA is Steven Adams on Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, I think he would really fit with the group of guys that we have. Uh, you know, he has that kind of same mentality as, you know, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, um, 
just a tough, you know, leave it all on the floor kind of kind of guy that us Boston fans are very accustomed to. Um, so I've, I'm surprised I haven't heard his name come up a lot. I heard it um, in February. I have not heard it for this offseason. Um, but definitely a big man is is a must. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I don't there's that's the really the only hole on the Celts right now is a quality starting caliber big man. Because as was said before, Tice, he did what he could do. He's undersized. We everybody saw how he got completely bullied by Bam Adebayo in the paint. And Enos Cantor's defense just isn't at the point where you could start him consistently. So depending on what assets would have to be given up, I would probably prefer Miles Turner because I feel like it would take less to get him as opposed to Carl Anthony Towns or Steven Adams. However, for the right price, I'm open to any of them. Carl Anthony Towns would be awesome. I would love him on in green, but I'm just not sure that's a realistic possibility. No, yeah, absolutely. I think, in my opinion, the order would go Miles Turner, Steven Adams, then Carl Anthony Towns on the sole reason that Miles Turner, you're probably going to get the best value for him. You wouldn't have to like give up too much. He's a young guy. He's a paint protector, and he'd kind of fit well, I think, with Kemba in the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. Steven Adams second because I think he's a typical big man, and you mentioned it, Najee, that you know he's got that grit and grind. He's you know, a bit old school. He's a big, tough guy. I think him being a big presence in the paint is, like, what the Celtics need. And then last, obviously not least because of talent, Carl Anthony Towns is a tremendous center. But I think that he's just last because of the overall assets we'd probably have to give up to get him in return. But depending on what Danny Ainge could put together, I really think he could be worth it because, obviously, Carl Anthony Towns can stretch the floor really well you know, post up, do a lot of things. And, of course, rebounding is very key to the Celtics now. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, I don't know how you guys feel about him, but I think in all of these trade, you know, scenarios, I think that Gordon Hayward, you know, needs to be a, a part of a part of it just solely because of his contract and his performance, you know, when we originally signed him along with Kyrie, you know, we had the expectations of, you know, him really continuing being an all-star and playing at a high level. And uh, obviously, you know, he had the horrific uh, leg injury. Um, But even when he came back, um, I don't know, he just didn't seem as aggressive. I think that was the, the main concern that I had. I mean, even two years out of the injury, in this in this past season, he um, I don't know, just didn't have much aggression. You know, had significant amount of turnovers in in the games that he did play in, um, and I think you know with with his huge contract, um, you know, a deal I think needs to be centered around him, um, and if that means also giving up picks to kind of add as, as leverage in order to get some of the guys we've been mentioning, Steven Adams, uh, Miles Turner, or even Carl Anthony Towns. I think that's something that we just have to have to do and move on. Yeah. I think in any deal for, I believe all three of the 
people mentioned are on max contracts. So really in order for the cap gymnastics to work out, Hayward's going to have to be a part of any deal, which is unfortunate because I really had high hopes for him coming in, but obviously the injury, you can't do anything about it. I really think it affected him psychologically. I mean, how can it not? Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, but he just certainly hasn't been the same player that he was in Utah. And granted, part of that is because he's not the unquestioned first option like he was in Utah. However, his numbers are significantly worse. Like he was a leafy average 20 points a game his last season in Utah. And I don't think he's even averaged close to that. It's probably average under 15 uh, this year. Yeah, his average is around 14 yeah. uh, per game in uh, Celtics Green. And especially, you know, you bring up the point that he was the first option in Utah. He was the go-to. He was pretty much their scoring machine uh, when we got him. Yeah. And then when, for at least, the you know, like the four minutes we saw when he played against the Cavs, it kind of seems like it was going to be him and Kyrie running the show with, like, Jalen Brown as, like, a secondary option. And then, you know, obviously – a total flip of the script. Now we look a couple of years later from the injury, you know, Kemba's been brought in. So, and Jason Tatum has blossomed. So is Jalen Brown. So I definitely think he fell down in the ladder of scoring and went to more of a, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm really good. You have to guard me and, t- and keep your eye on me. But like, I'm not the main guy who's going to be taking that final shot. Yeah. Actually, just looking at it now, Miles Turner's only has a cap hit of eighteen million. So, if they were to use Hayward to match salaries, that would probably actually free up a decent amount of cap space, which we could then use to um, give Tatum a nice payday. So it would work out really well if we went for Miles Turner. Yeah, and I also wouldn't be opposed to you know. Instead of trading Hayward along with picks, I wouldn't be opposed to trading Hayward with, you know, a guy like Romeo Langford. Mm-hmm. Um, so we still keep those pick assets, which could turn into, you know, high first round picks. Um, if not, we could use it in the future as, you know, as assets for other trade opportunities. But I, I'd rather, you know, trade Hayward and a guy like Romeo Langford. Um, Instead of instead of using our our draft picks, not sure the values Absolutely. there as far as uh, Langford because nobody really knows what he's going to be. He barely saw the court. Yeah, I'm definitely yeah. interested to see. Uh, he did come off that injury when we drafted him. That's why he kind of fell pretty low in the uh, the yeah. draft. But from the spurts that we've seen, it definitely seems like you know he will develop. And I'm interesting to see because obviously the Celtics are a young team and a lot of them, you know, are under, you know, only entering at most their like third year in the NBA. So there's still like a lot of growth, which means there's a lot of value for them in player development. So it's interesting to see what, you know, the Celtics organization will think to do in terms of like keeping and trading and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, I know we've been talking about the NBA for a while, but I want to get into NFL, kind of get into where we are, you know, towards like middle of the season almost, and kind of just like start previewing some matchups, start talking about like the big games, talk about who's been the unsung heroes and who has been just been absolutely fantasy bust 
throughout this point of the year so far. Now, I know earlier Joe and I were talking, and we were talking about how um, Antonio Brown, apparently teams are looking for him. And, you know, his eight-game suspension, it will end soon. And then apparently he will be eligible to play for whatever team picks him up. Yeah, I've seen the Seahawks are looking at him and then the anonymous several other teams, of course, as always. So I'm not really sure. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but like the Seahawks, that's insane. That team would be ridiculous. They already have two star wide receivers and a star running back and a star quarterback and a good offensive line. Yeah, it, That would just make them unstoppable. They, they, they wouldn't like, who would you cover? Like you, you can't cover Metcalf. You can't cover Lockheed. You can't cover Brown. Like who you, who you, it's just going to be man the entire time. And you really think you're going to stop like these three guys in man coverage? Exactly. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even have to run the ball either. It'd be crazy. Another uh, interesting thing that I think has happened recently in terms of like free agency pickups was the signing of Le'Veon Bell. Now, obviously, he did not perform at all for the Jets, and he wanted out immediately, and he got out, and then he picked the Kansas City Chiefs, the winning, reigning Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs, who, I might add, will be playing the Jets on November 1st. That's just petty. What? (laughs) It's, oh my goodness. I mean, talk about offensive, like, teams just getting better. I mean, Pat Mahomes, Hill, Watkins, uh, the rookie running back whose name I'm blanking on. Edwards Allaire. They have been going off. Edwards Allaire, thank you. They have been, like, going off. Like, really? And you're going to add Le'Veon Bell? I get it. Granted, he hasn't gone as well with the Jets. But I feel like, wow, you're just adding talent right there. Yeah, I mean, he's the same player he always was. He was He's played behind a terrible, and I mean terrible, like probably the worst, if maybe second worst, if the Eagles still continue to not be able to get their shit together. But he's been playing against a terrible offensive line for – one and a half seasons, so of course he's going to be bad. Oh. He was before that. He was playing with one of the best offensive lines with the Steelers, and and he was killing yeah. it. I'd even argue when he was on the Steelers, um, because I was a huge fan of Le'Veon Bell, especially when he was on the Steelers. I'd argue he was a top, top three, top two running back during, you know, that span of time, and I think, you know, people had high hopes, especially Jets fans. Um, when he went to to New York, but uh, I don't know. The Jets have not been, you know, a good fr- good well run franchise over the past, you know, how many how many years? And I mean, you obviously see their record this year. I don't think it was him to blame for that rec for the record that they that they have. Um, or I wouldn't even blame him for the performances, as you know, you guys have just mentioned. They have one of the worst offensive lines, you know, in football. No, yeah, I, I definitely don't put a lot of the blame on it. I know that the media does blow things out of proportion and that there's definitely two sides to the story. But, I mean, looking at it, they don't have a lot of assets. I mean, 
Uh, Crowder uh, has been going pretty good, decent numbers in, you know, the receiver slot. And obviously, like we mentioned, the offensive line isn't that good. But if that's, like, really it, I mean, yeah, Darnold, like, decent QB, I feel like could do better in a different system. But, again, we're talking about the bad offensive line, so we're not really seeing his full potential either. So no matter what, it's kind of like Le'Veon Bell didn't really get set up to, like, thrive in that scenario. And it's definitely going to be able to see, I think, a big burst added on to the already powerful Kansas City offense. Yeah. And that's just Adam Gase ruins everything he touches. Oh, my God. Absolutely. (laughs) Now, speaking of absolutely being ruined, uh, the Cowboys. What? What? (laughs) Okay. So, in case we didn't know, it was 38-10 to against the Cardinals on Monday night. 38 to 10. Now, granted, the Cardinals are a fairly decent team. They have some assets and stuff. And Kyler Murray has been, you know, playing very good football. But, I mean, this is just a blow to the Cowboys organization. I know that if I was a Cowboys fan, I was like, oh, my God, this actually could be a good year for us. Dak is playing incredible. We have Amari Cooper going crazy. We have rookie sensations in Gallup and C.D. Lamb. I mean, they were – and, of course, Ezekiel Elliott at running back, who's always been a top-tier powerhouse. But the minute Dak goes down, it just all fall apart. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but – I think for the past, you know, X amount of years, um, Jason Garrett was the scapegoat. And, you know, now obviously they put in a new head coach, Mike McCarthy, um, who has some Super Bowl pedigree. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's it's Jerry Jones that's the main issue. I, I think his ego is just kind of too too big and – he just is not realizing the real issues, you know, in Dallas, Um, you know, year after year. I mean, you, you guys are obviously familiar with Skip Bayless um, and he generates the, uh, the cowboy hype, but year after year, I mean, they're promised, you know, a, a terrific defense, you know, good assets on offense. You know, they, they signed Ezekiel Elliott to that, to that big deal. You know, they have Dak Prescott who, you know, you either love him or hate him, but um, I don't know. They just have they, – they're loaded with talent. And, you know, I'm not upset because I'm not a Cowboys fan, so I'm indifferent to it. But, you know, it's a shame to see the talent and their roster, which is pretty well constructed year after year and just how they, you know, fall flat. Uh, on their face year after year, whether they make the playoffs or, you know, they're in the uh, the NFC least. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's just kind of strange to see all that talent just go to waste. No, yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I want to bring up that I think you mentioning is perfect. Yeah, they promised this like elite defense or like at least a semi-good defense. But if you pull up this year's, you know, schedule and their past scorecards 
It was 20 to 17 against the Rams when they lost. It was 40 to 39 against the Falcons when they won. 38 31, they lost to the Seahawks. 49 38 to the Browns. 37 34, Giants. And then, of course, the blowout that just happened 38 10. That just goes to show you that they're a team that needs to score no matter what. It's going to be a blowout. There's only been one game when they haven't let up more than 25 points to their opponent. They can't keep going on like this because otherwise they just need to like score like 40, 50 points a game to ensure that they have victory. And obviously we know that's not a consistency that they can keep up with. The only thing that they're consistently doing is letting the opposing team score touchdowns. It's also worth noting that they're – Yeah, and, and obviously, I mean, I feel awful for, for Dak Prescott being in the situation that he was in because, you know, even though, you know, production-wise, a lot of his, you know, stats are empty calories in most – in most um, most years, mainly because of the defense, and they put themselves in in a hole that he has to try to climb out of every single game, uh, year after year. But uh, seeing you know the range of other quarterbacks that are beneath his level um, get paid, you know, get huge payouts. Uh, it was very disappointing for, you know, Jerry Jones and that Cowboy organization to franchise tag him because they put themselves in control. And obviously now with his injury, they don't know how he'll come back the same, if he'll come back the same. So they really have the power in this situation, which is which is extremely sad because he, he should have been paid by now. You know, Ezekiel Elliott got paid and – you know, that's usually a topic of discussion, uh, whether or not running backs should be paid such high salaries because their career span is usually extremely short. Their productivity levels, you know, do not span over a long period of time. So I, I really just feel bad for Dak, um, obviously health-wise, but also, you know, money-wise. You know, he's he's earned that money. He deserves that money. And... You know, this is a, a key example of, you know, nothing's guaranteed. Um, so I just hope that either he gets paid by the Cowboys or, you know, another team that, that respects him uh, will give him the money that he deserves. It's also worth noting that uh, both Cowboys wins um, over the Falcons and then over the Giants were both on last second field goals. So it's not even like they had control throughout the game or anything. They got lucky. No, yeah. Yeah, their their defense is a really big problem. And, I mean, you see it from time to time. Like, yeah, there's teams that just go on, like, absolute tears and, like, score at will on someone. Like, the Buccaneers against the Packers last week. It was 38-10, same score. But, like, the Bucs don't consistently do that. And, obviously, the Packers don't consistently only put up 10 points. I think it was just like you have those like like those moments when like teams are really clicking and other teams aren't doing as well, but it always seems like the Cowboys are consistently giving up too many points that they can't score enough to to win. Yeah. Yeah. And just something to add quick, um, 
just as you mentioned, the Green Bay-Tampa Bay game. Um, even though, you know, I'm a huge Celtics fan, uh, grew up in New England, Massachusetts my entire life. I'm For football, Green Bay Packers have always been my favorite team. So uh, recapping, you know, last week's brutal loss against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, <laughs> I was not too too upset because – the way I viewed it was, you know, I had a better chance of being struck by lightning than Aaron Rodgers throwing two picks <laughs> in one game. Um, so, you know, that was only the third time in his career that he's thrown two picks in one game, you know, since 2008 when he became the starter, uh, which is, you know, basically unheard yeah, of. I mean, he had a good uh, game. He is that. And, you know, obviously you put the blame on him, but – I mean, there's nothing really that you can can do about it. I mean, those those performances by him, because he's so consistent, you know, are so far and few between in between. So, um, just recapping that game, I wouldn't say that Tampa Bay won that game. I'd say Green Bay lost that game, um, and I wouldn't put too much emphasis on for either side. I wouldn't say. Green Bay was rolling, and now they're just going to take a turn for the worse. I think they're still they're still going to end up, you know, they're four and one. I, I think that they're going to end up, you know, around the same records last year, thirteen and three. And for Tampa Bay, just because they they had a big win, they've they've also struggled this season. So I wouldn't say that this is now their trajectory, you know, for the NFC. I still don't see them coming out of the NFC either. So. Um, yeah, I would say that definitely makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I totally agree with that. I definitely think that you know you can have good teams that like lose games. Like it's it's not unheard of for that to happen. And I definitely think you know reading into this, like you don't have to read too much into this. Like Green Bay is still a solid team. Tampa Bay, I'm still not sold on. I'm not exactly sure. Obviously, like we get further into the season, you can start clicking. So like more games will follow. And, I mean, on that note, like, looking forward, like, Green Bay is pay- playing the Texans. That's a, you know, fairly – I mean, like, on paper, it's, like, a good team. But, I mean, they just haven't been able to hold up to what's been going on. I mean, firing the coach mid, like, beginning of the season. Clearly, this season isn't their season, and they're going to have to, like, rebuild. They traded the best wide receiver in football, like – yeah, they 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 did trade the best wide receiver yeah. in all football. That, that that is interesting. Speaking of which, that is I think one of my, my two key matchups of the week would be the Seahawks Cardinals game. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, let's be real. Yeah. Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, we got Metcalf and Hopkins. I mean, we got like an interesting duo because we got Russell Wilson, who's consistently been a top tier quarterback. He has the young talent, and he's got it all going on right now. And then we got Kyler Murray, who's looking to prove himself with a bad Cardinals organization that just brought in, as we just said, arguably the top receiver in the league. And they have been going really well. I mean, I'm interested to see what this matchup holds. Seahawks 5-0, and Cardinals 4-2. and It will be a good matchup, I say. Yeah, that – Division the NFC West seriously looking like the best division of football. 
in my opinion. I mean, the, the yeah, no, they are. <laughs> yeah. Even last year, too. I mean, you had Seattle end yeah. up as a wild card, um, beat Philadelphia. You had, obviously, San Francisco go to the Super Bowl. Um, and Arizona got significantly better with DeAndre yeah, Hopkins. They are the only division of football with, that does not have a team with a losing record. Yeah, wow. The only the only division that I could say that could rival it is the AFC North. Obviously, the Bengals. I mean, Bengals weigh them down. The Bengals are just like <laughs> weighing them down. But I mean, you got five and zero Steelers. You got five and one Ravens. You got the four and two Browns. I'm sorry. Can we take a moment? The four and two Browns. I'm so proud of my Browns. I'm so proud. <laughs> this is. <laughs> Did not did not no, think that was coming like anytime soon. Hey, those fans deserve it. Years, and now all of a sudden one they have 30, four one. wins. One in thirty-one. One in thirty-one. Wow. Turn it around. They have not those been over five hundred since I believe <laughs> I believe it was two thousand two, two thousand one. Jesus. Long time coming. It, it, it has been. I mean, I just remember always seeing the lists and lists of QBs that they were just, like, yeah. striking through. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we have I, yet I, to I, see if Baker's the answer, to be honest, even though I oh, love Baker. But I, I'm still waiting I on him to still, take that step. Yeah. Well, I mean, I also think that they have, like, the assets. Yeah. And you can, like, be a decent quarterback if you have, like, mm-hmm. good wide receivers and a good running back to hand the ball off to. But, yeah, or two. Yeah, exactly. Or two. I mean, wow. The fact that they can still keep going with the, you know, injuries to props to them. Um, now, going back to this week's, I mean, I think another marquee matchup. And honestly, these two teams, they kind of come as a little shock to me, but the Steelers and the Titans. Now, the Steelers are 5-0. and and the Tennessee Titans are five and zero. I, at this point in the season, I did not see these two teams with an undefeated record. Crazy. I, I, the Steelers is honestly, the best team in football. Power rankings. Um, I know, like it's it's crazy, especially considering like you know Juju hasn't really been living up to the hype of like you know, who he really is as, a, like, a top-tier receiver. I mean, he has under 200 yards, only three touchdowns, and Jeez. two of them came in the first uh, game against the G- Giants. Yeah, and I've experienced that firsthand. Oof. I have him on my fantasy he, team. He has been sitting on my bench. He will be sitting on my bench in fantasy. <laughs> I mean, the emergence of Chase Claypool, kid came out of nowhere. Oh my, okay, this is the funniest thing. I saw yeah. a TikTok of this guy doing like, <laughs> what does an NFL player do on game day? And then he goes off and gets like three touchdowns and like some ridiculous amount of yardage. And I'm like, nah, this, this, this guy can't be real. This guy's unheard of. Like, who is this? I'm like, that, that was just an absolute fluke of a game. And then he goes out next week and does another great performance. I mean, it wasn't as good, but he still put up decent numbers. I mean, yeah. let's be real. He was putting up solid numbers. He had one touchdown, 
and he had, you know, roughly 140 yards through the first three weeks. Coming out of the bye, he has 11 catches for over 200 yards, three touchdowns, and two rushing touchdowns. So five total touchdowns. Yeah. Crazy. Came out of nowhere. Well, oh, absolutely. I, I don't think anyone really saw this coming. I mean, props to him and props to the Steelers for, you know, bringing this guy in. But, like, I, I was shocked. Now, yeah. I do say this, and this is why I have it as a, a good matchup, not only because they are both undefeated teams, but because I'm interested to see, you know, what the Titans can do. Now, so far, Titans have, you know, they beat the Texans. They beat the Vikings, the Bills. I thought the Bills, that was a good game for them because they not only held them to 16 points, but they dropped 42 on them. And that was, like, supposed to be, like, a good quality team. And, I mean, it still is, but, like, wow. they And the other two wins come against the Jaguars and the Broncos. But, I mean, they just have been firing on all cylinders, putting back-to-back 42-point games. And – Considering, you know, you just mentioned it, Joe, the Steelers are up there in the power rankings. I think it becomes one of those marquee matchups to see who can battle it out, remain undefeated, mm-hmm. and continue on. Because Tannehill and, you know, King Henry have been going strong. But can the rookie sensation of Claypool keep the Steelers in the uh, win column? I almost see this as sort of a prove-it game for the Titans. Because, I mean, all of their wins except for the Bills game, which I was very impressed by the Bills game. That was also taken into account that that was um, one of their – or I don't know if that one was the postponed one, but it was after they, they basically hadn't practiced for two weeks because of their COVID issues. And they came out and held the Bills office of 16 points and put 42 points on them. So I was impressed by that, and I think that proved them. But for most other people, I think that – the Steelers game is going to be their sort of prove-it game of, you know, you're going to be up against the best team in football. Let's see what you can do. No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and looking forward in the schedule, they don't really have much, like, else before that. So I think this is, like, really setting it because for weeks to come, we'll be talking about their prove-it game because their next matchup is the Bengals. And then after that, the Bears, who have a decent defense, the Colts. And they don't play till week 11, the Ravens. So, I mean, they're going another five, uh, four weeks without a real, like, decent matchup. So, this really is the make it or break it. Like, are you a, a decent football team? Can you hold your own in this league? Yeah, I mean, I think their schedule, they actually have a decently tough stretch, especially weeks 10 to – 13, I believe it is, where they played the Colts twice, Ravens, and Browns, all of whom are above 500. So I think that'll be a tough stretch for them. So that might be another, let's see what you guys are really made of type. Yeah, especially in the back half of the season, you know, you're making that playoff push. You're trying to, you know, set yourself aside in the standings and, you know, you could be battling some injuries. So it will be interesting to see how well they can maintain this high form. Yeah, they lost their bye week because of all their COVID stuff, I think, because they had to get their yeah, games so, all moved around. 
Mm-hmm. So now, now they're just they're just going to be going strong week after week. Now, obviously, I gave my two games that I'm very interested to see. Would you guys say that there's like another game upcoming that is like a really high key matchup that you're looking forward to? Whether it's just like a dynamic duo that's going against one another, or is it just you know kind of consistently easygoing games so far? Um. Let's see here. <laughs> uh, next week, the Chiefs play the Jets. So, can Mahomes put 50 points up on the Jets? I'm telling you, bro. Against the Jets, Le'Veon Bell coming back. I mean, yeah. it, it's a Cinderella story in the making. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for the Jets to come out of there for no reason at all and just blow them out of the water. I know it won't That happen, would be fun. Oh, that won't happen. There's no chance that happens. It, it won't. I mean, <laughs> the, the Chiefs are the Chiefs are the Chiefs. Let's, let's put it at that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it seems like pretty much basically run the mill games. I don't see any like things that jump out at me in the next couple of weeks. I mean, maybe Seahawks Bills, depending on how the Bills do this week. Yeah. And the I might next have couple to go, weeks, uh, New England 49ers this Sunday. That might um, be good. Yeah, it should be. That could be a good game. Yeah. I definitely think the matchup there is interesting because obviously, like, we've seen the Patriots, you know, with a loss of Tom Brady, bringing Cam Newton, like, you thought it was going to be really good. And then, you know, the positive COVID test, they were set back yeah. a couple weeks. They had a tough game against the Broncos. Um, and now I think they're trying to, like, battle some injuries within the team. Obviously, speaking of injuries, the 49ers, I mean – in the second week, they lost multiple key players. So I definitely think it's interesting to see how these two teams that have been battling for so long will shape up. Yeah. I have a question for you two guys. Do you uh, see the NFL season coming to a, uh, a Super Bowl finish? Or do you think with, you know, everything going on, uh, relating to COVID, do you think that the NFL will have to do, you know, a temporary shutdown or even a, a complete shutdown? Do you guys th- see the um, the season coming to a true end? If they were going to do it, they would have done it already, I think. There have been so many cases at this point that, you know, if they were taking this any sort of seriously, they would have already shut it down. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, I agree with that. I feel like, you know, the NBA, we saw them do such a good job with the bubble. Then the NHL kind of copied it and did their own thing when they had their playoffs. It's kind of, I mean, it's harder in a sense, but you could have still done it with the NFL. But since they've already made it, you know, we're we're pushing week seven now. There's been positive tests. People have, you know, been isolated, been quarantined. I feel like there's been plenty of instances when the NFL could have like spoken up and say, hey, we're going to do this differently or we're just going to stop. I think they're kind of too invested in the we're starting the season on time. We're getting everything going. We're going through with everything and just making sure that, you know, even if there are some bumps along the road, that they just make it to the end of like the journey and make it to the Super Bowl because that will bring in the most money for that. And at the end of the day, that's what it will be about. Is, you know, they get they get sports back, but they do need that money. Yeah. And I think even if you look at – it's just embarrassing for the NFL. 
I mean, you look at what MLB was able to do. They didn't even do a bubble, and they had some issues at the beginning of the season, but they got their shit together and figured it out. And now there's fans of the World Series, you know? And something that I didn't think was going to happen. I don't think a lot of people foresaw happening. But no, no, yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, I think early on the Marlins, they had like a 14 person that was like player staff and it was like totally shut down. And honestly, I was like kind of appalled by it. I was like, wow, MLB is over. And the fact that they've made it to this point kind of makes me think that the NFL can do a similar thing, whereas they have troubles right now. You know, they're a third of the way in to like when the Super Bowl would be ending. Take your time, figure things out, figure out where the problems are coming from and then handle it from there. Uh, But since we are almost done and since you did mention the MLB, uh, let's just give out quick takes about game one and what we think for the rest of the series. Personally, checking out the highlights, the scores. I mean, Dodgers 8-3 against the Rays. I think the Dodgers have a great team. They've, you know, I mean, Mookie Betts, uh, I hated seeing him leave, but, I mean, he is an absolute MVP caliber player, and he he's an X factor. I would say I would like to see the Rays you know, come back and make this a series and don't let it just be a blowout. You know, we did wait for sports for so long that I want to keep, you know, keep the people entertained, make sure that they're getting it it worth it. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it it was a power. Eight runs, they put it up in the middle. They put two in the fourth, four in the fifth, two in the sixth. They just took them out during the relief stretch right there. Yeah, it hurt. It hurts to see. I mean, a part of me, I'm so happy for Mookie, but a part of me is just like, that hurts. <laughs> There's someone on, um, I forget the exact tweet, but I know Twitter was just going in on the Red Sox. And interesting comparison someone made is that, um, was that the Red Sox, they won the World Series in 1918. They traded a generational player in the 1919-1920 offseason due to financial restraints, and they underwent an 86-year World Series drought. The Red Sox then won the World Series in 2018, and then they traded a generational player in 2019-2020 offseason due to financial restraints. So hope we're all ready to for the next World Series in 2104. <laughs> wow. Uh, so... So on that note, I mean, I guess I'm very glad that I still have the Celtics to root forward to. Uh, wow, that that is depressing. Okay, uh, and final take, Joe. Who do we see winning the World Series? Dodgers and five. The Dodgers and just five. The, they're just outclassing the Rays in every category. Outclassing the Rays. It, yeah. All right. And Najee, I know you're not a huge baseball guy, but what do you think? Rays or Dodgers? I'm going to have to go Dodgers. I mean, even though I'm not the biggest baseball fan, I, I definitely did like the Red Sox team with uh, Mookie. I do like Mookie a lot. Um, so I, I'd piggyback along. I'd go Dodgers in five as well. 
All right. I'm going to be different. I'm going Dodgers in six. I think the Rays still have enough in them to at least fight for a little bit in this series, make it a little bit interesting. But overall, you're right. Dodgers have too much power, too much hitting. I mean, their their team just matches up so much better than the Rays. All right. And on that note, this marks the end of our first episode of Second Stringers. Thank you for listening. And we hope to hear you back with our next episode in a couple of weeks. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. See you guys.